Hello there, welcome to the Culture of Life podcast from Human Life International. I'm Tad Wojcik, the Mission Research Specialist, here with, well, not really here, uh, but virtually here with Father Shannon Bouquet, our president. Hey Tad, good to be with you and our audience today from, from a distance. That's right, this is the first time uh, we're doing a remote interview with Father Bouquet. Uh, we've done remote interviews in the past, but this one uh, is the first time with Father Bouquet, so it's a new experience for all of us. Well, it'll be something good, Tad, for us to practice with since uh, we know that the travel restrictions are starting to uh, to change internationally, which will uh, allow myself and our HLI team in the United States to finally get back out into the mission field. So it's it's an exciting period. So this will give us a little moment to, to see if the technology is going to cooperate with us or as uh, St. Maximilian Kolbe uh, used to say uh, when the printing press uh, for the Immaculata would break down, he would often say that the devil got his tail stuck in the printing press again. So uh, I think the devil definitely works against us uh, in many occasions when it comes to technology because uh, uh, so many little things can go wrong. And of course, he doesn't want us to talk about any of these fundamental issues. So, but we'll see what happens today. That's very true, Father, and uh, today we are talking about one of those issues that the uh, devil would not want us to talk about because uh, he's been very active in recent decades, uh, and particularly it's gotten kind of to a, an extraordinary level uh, when we discuss the problem of uh, the, the phrase used, uh, at least secularly, is sexual education. Now, we might have a couple of problems with the way that that's uh, used and what that implies, uh, I think sexual morality education is a better way to put it from our standpoint. But that's what we're going to be talking about today, Father, is um, how and how uh, Western, in Western countries, and especially in the U.S., uh, par the school systems have sort of usurped the uh, so-called right uh, of sexual education uh, and infiltrated those classes with various kinds of um, propagandistic uh, agendas and, uh, and, and why this is such a problem and uh, what parents and uh, the church can do about it. So <clears throat> why don't you begin, Father, maybe just going through sure. what you've highlighted recently in your, your uh, recent Spirit and Life article on this subject. Sure. You know, you know uh, Adolfo Castaneda, who has been with HLI, you know, uh, since 1993, you know, who has a degree in moral theology. We, in many of our training programs, Tad, we, uh, one of the primary subjects we begin with, with at least with an introduction uh, to our audience, whether they be seminarians, religious, or priests, or, or, or lay professionals like doctors, nurses, and parents, you know, uh, we, we talk about the issue of uh, so-called, what, what we call perverse sex education. So the church herself, uh, you know, when properly uh, respected, you know, we all, we, we talk about the issues of human sexuality and we want to uh, have programs and uh, available to parents, you know, to help them in their role and duty. And we'll talk more about that in a few moments. But I begin by talking about the fact that, that it's a perverse sex education that we're speaking about here. And what I mean by perverse is when the dignity of the human person, in this regard, we're speaking about innocent children, are being introduced into language, terminology, um, images uh, that really do not respect their, their dignity, that do not respect the dignity of the person 
And in regard to that, uh, in, or furthermore to that, it doesn't respect the dignity of human sexuality as God himself has created us uh, to respect. And so when, when we address the subject, as Adolfo does in our Latin American outreach and our programs, and we do throughout the rest of the mission uh, field, is to really help parents and those working with young people to respect young people's innocence and that we are careful in how we talk about very important issues. I mean, the, the beautiful gift, and I use that word very strongly, gift of human sexuality is a gift of God. God created this precious gift. It's something beautiful, it's something good, but it has a proper order and a proper you know, expression and, and a direction. And when anything of good is falsified, as we're talking about here, and in, in what we're seeing in the secular culture that really has no regard for human sexuality as God intends. Uh, it looks at it purely from a biological point of view, the, the point being that happiness, pleasure, anything that really can fill my, my life, uh, I'm free to choose, which is contrary to freedom, is contrary to the human person. Uh, again, here, uh, for our audience sake, I, I just want to make reference to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. Uh, where we hear that God made us in His image and in His likeness. And oftentimes our audience and many people that I, you know, I'm, I'm actually out on the road getting ready to participate in a conference, and, and this is kind of perfect because this is one of the subjects I'm going to be giving a presentation on. So it's perfect that we're talking about it, but it's the understanding of what we mean by likeness and image. So just very briefly, Tad, if you don't mind, I'll just kind of make note of them. So first of all, when we speak about freedom, we're speaking about, you know, when we're made in the image and likeness of God is that the freedom that I have to exercise is that I will exercise it in such a manner that it helps me to recognize who I am. In other words, to be God-like, to exercise my freedom in a respectful manner that respects my nature as a person. And so that freedom is not meant for me to use to go against my nature or go against the goodness of my, my personhood, but instead to be used to help me to flourish and to make good choices that reflect that goodness and that beauty and that truth about my nature, about who I am as a son of God and as a person. And so this, this dignity is inalienable, it's absolute. It, uh, it's never taken away, in a sense, from anyone or given to me by anyone. It is a God-given gift. And so and when we talk about, you know, further the goodness and li or the likeness and image, we think about God as good, right? And so we're made for good. We're made for the good. And we're made to choose the good. And this is a part of recognizing the image and likeness in, in whom I have been made. And then also to, to choose what is beautiful and to, to create what is beautiful. In other words, what I'm trying to say is that we're, we have these beautiful gifts given to us by our Creator for the purpose of helping me to know who I am, for what I have been made, and what is my destiny, which is the supreme good, eternal life. And so if I take all of that out of context, if I remove it, as we see with a dualistic understanding of the human person, which is in the secular culture, which means, you know, if I want it, I can have it. If it seems good to me, I can choose it uh, without asking, you know, is this really good? Is there is the reality true? You know, and this is what, what we've seen in, in, in the perverse education programs regarding human sexuality, where we're seeing as young as kindergartners, you know, being introduced 
and please forgive my audience for bringing up just some terms, but I, I just want to, again, just uh, it's important to know, as young as kindergarten, introducing them to images about masturbation, about uh, sexual expression, and it doesn't matter, you know, if that expression is with one of one's own, of course, the terminology I'm using now, they would not respect, but whether it be with one's own sex, male, male, girl, boy, you know, but it, it, this is the problem we're facing, and then by introducing these young people to this conversation, to terminology, that are one that are ill prepared, they don't understand it, and and to to introduce them, you can't take it back. You know, their innocence is robbed from them, and they're and because so many cases, parents don't know about this. What happens is the children are told by their their teachers or by those that are leading these classroom conversations or dialogues. When I call them dialogue, but these these discussions that don't tell your parents. Parents don't even know what's happening, and so their kids are, are, are dealing with subjects that many adults struggle with and don't understand. And so how will these kids? So it's important, you know, Tad, that, that's why I, I really wrote about the subject, because in, in our current climate, it's a very permissive culture. Anything goes, and the, the reality and the truth about human nature and about human life and dignity is no longer in the conversation. It's not something where people, that's not their starting point. And, and their starting point is if it gives me pleasure, it brings me joy, then it must be something good and I can choose it. And, and so it, it's a real falsification, Tad, of, of, of the goodness of the human person, the nature of the human person, uh, the image and likeness in which we have been made, which is God, and, and how we are to give God glory by the way we live our lives is it's not the starting point, but this is what we have to keep teaching. We have to keep advancing. And, and the whole point of the article was to help parents uh, to, to, to see their duty. So I know we're going to talk a little bit about that, so I'll kind of pass it back to you, Tad. Well, thank you very much, Father. Yes, um, I think there's a lot of directions we can go here with this, but we'll, we'll just continue maybe down uh, with, uh, you know, we can get to the, the kinds of um, problems that are arising now uh, later, but first we'll start with um, something you highlighted in the article, which was uh, as far back as, um, I mean, the church has been very open about these issues and, and, and responsive. So as far back as 1995, when these issues really became uh, prominent in a lot of public school systems, um, and back then not quite as bad or in such a way as now, um, the Pontifical Council for the Family released a document which you highlighted called The Truth and Meaning of Human Sexuality. Uh, Father, would you mind giving us a kind of uh, an overview of what the document describes as the essentials of a, of a truly Catholic and wholesome view of sexuality and the way these uh, morals can be uh, taught uh, to the younger generations? Sure, Ted, thank you. And, I mean, we've already talked a little bit about some of the aspects, and the, for those of our listeners, the, the document uh, that was put out by the Pontifical Council for the Family in 1995 is a quite extensive document. It's, it's long, uh, and I know honestly that uh, with everything else going on in people's lives, that reading a very lengthy document is not always uh, prior on the top of the list. But I'm going to strongly encourage our listeners to, to take advantage of this, this moment, Tad, that we're bringing to the surface uh, to read the document, even, even if it's over the course of a couple of weeks, just to pace out 
and read it, especially to parents. Uh, because what the document is dealing with is, Ted, as you introduced, uh, was, you know, we're looking out of the world. Now, this is 1995, but I can tell you this document could have been published uh, today, uh, you know, uh, in, in June of 2022, and it, it's, it, it's so relevant. Why? Because the truth is, rel is always the truth, whether it was in 1995 or 2022 or uh, in 100 years from now. And the truth of what we're speaking about is the truth of the human person, the truth of what God has created. And, and this is what the document, it's why its title is so important, the truth and meaning of, meaning of human sexuality. So there's a truth that we, we must uh, ascend to, recognize, and we have to live by. And, and so what is that truth? So, so as I mentioned earlier, when you have people within the permissive culture that see freedom, what I mean by freedom again, let me just reiterate this, is the freedom to do whatever brings me love, happiness, and pleasure. And so, yes, obviously, God made me to have life and to have it abundantly. Scripture tells me this. God has made me, you know, to live as we hear the fruits of the Holy Spirit. You know, joy, peace, love. We, we, the, these terms are very much a part of our Christian view, but properly understood that not everything that I perceive as good is something good. Something that might bring me pleasure may not necessarily be good for me and may be immoral. In, in many cases, the things that we're talking about are that. They are immoral. They are a misuse of the sexual gift, a misuse of the human person. So if I could, I'll just kind of take a little sidetrack just for a second. I'm going to use the natural law just, just for a moment so to help us understand. So when we consider a fish, a fish has uh, fins. And so those fins help the fish to, to function. And whether to go forward, to go backwards, to flip over, uh, in some cases to obtain food. There are many functions of different types of species of fish, but you take the fins off the fish, and what happens to the fish? It dies. It can't survive. And so we can observe just from just general senses and observation that these are the fins are a good that helps the fish to live according to its nature, to its very being. Well, we have to look at ourselves similarly in that, no, I don't have fins, you know, but, you know, my ears serve a function, my eyes, my, my heart. And we can also observe from, from the natural order of things that, for example, if I use uh, uh, the, the two different things like gasoline and a match, I can easily observe their behavior by taking the match, lighting it, and throwing it in a pan of gasoline. It's going to explode. I can learn something just from what I've observed. Well, the same thing through revelation, through the natural law, you know, through what has been revealed to us throughout the centuries and the teaching of the church and how those teachings have come to bear help me to know that, that my life, you know, and how I exercise the, the choices of my daily life bespeak one of my willingness to be really free, to be godlike, which we talked about, made in the image and likeness of God, or I can refuse it, I can reject it, I can do something contrary to the very nature of my person. And so this is something that we're talking about, Tad, and that's what the document is ultimately dealing with, is how do you advance a truth about the human person when people no longer hear that? And you know, let's be honest, 
the thing I just gave an example of, most people would not know where this dualistic understanding of the separation of body and soul, that because this is the foundation of it. This, you know, we can go back to Descartes, for example, in, 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 the, in the 1500s, and you know, who's the famous line, I think, therefore I am, you know. And so the idea that through, through my, or even my earlier mind. with the Gnostics. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so I know we don't have time for all that, but I just want our audience to realize that the church has been dealing with these subjects and these conversations for centuries. And, and so the document really picks up those perennial teaching, picks up the language of the church. You know, whether we're talking about John Paul II, you know, in the theology of the body that would actually, this document makes reference to, or John Paul even picks up in Familiaris Consortio from 19, uh, in the early 1980s, I think it's 81, and you know, and, uh, and, and picked up in Veritatis Splendor a few years later, you know, and so this, so what the document does is it says, first of all, to all all of us, that the human person is made in the image and likeness of God, and that the gift that God has given to us in and through the conjugal love of husband and wife, that's the proper place of the expression of the fullness of sexual love. It is the only place it is meant to be fully expressed and lived, and always with a, not only the unity for the good of the couple, but always with the procreative, always with the openness to human life, the welcoming of human life. And it is from that teaching that we can see the role of parents, Tad, in the sense that the procreative part of that unity, that inseparable bond that, that Paul VI would talk about in Humanae Vitae, you know, is, is here. And what he's talking about is that in the procreative, which also reflects the education of children, so that the welcoming of a child means as a mom and dad that we're going to help our child to learn to be formed properly, to, to be educated in the ways of the Lord, and, and, to, and to live a life in that respecting of that dignity. And this is what the document talks about, Tad. I mean, like I said, it's very long. And I mean, I'll just quote a couple of paragraphs. I think that may help a little bit, you know, for our, for our listeners. And so here I'm gonna make reference directly, you know, to paragraph 48. And so it's, it's in my column. People can go back and take a look at it. They can click on the link. It'll bring it to them uh, right, right up for them. And it says here, parents are the first educators of their children. And so back to this procreation, this welcoming of human life, which means as a parent that not only are we saying to each other, husband and wife, that, I, that we're, I'm giving myself to you and you're giving yourself to me in a self-giving love, you know, and then that love is open to the fruit of that, that love and, and the fruit that could be as a result of our union, that is a child. And so in that, we also are saying to each other, and we will help each other to raise our child to, and our children. We will, we will help to educate them and to form them and, and to guide them throughout life and to teach them right from wrong and, and to protect them from the harms that are around us and, and to prepare themselves for the ultimate life, which is with God, the supreme good. And so now, I know some of our audience, especially our parents, and, and are thinking, God, I don't think about that, but that's what we should be thinking about. That's, that's the mindset, is that this is something that's part of a great work, a great plan, and to be co-creator. Again, God creates what's beautiful, and so parents also participate in the creativeness, the, the beautiful gift of beauty of life. And so to see that, so this is what, what the, the, the council is talking about. And it says, you know, that, and they, there is no guarantee that the schools and individual teachers will, tr will adhere to or transmit positive sexual values to their children. So this is paragraph 48. So what the, what the 
Pontifical Council for the Family is saying to parents, you know, you have a duty. You are the first educators. You are the ones responsible. However, you might, and the church is here, we, we, we assist parents, as I mentioned earlier. So we're not saying that there should not be sexual education or formation, but it should be respectful of the values that parents want for their children. And we should respect the dignity of the child. And so here, this is what the Pontifical Council is saying, Tad, and it is the family, not the school, that is the, quote, the normal and usual place for forming children and young people to consolidate and exercise the virtues of charity, temperance, fortitude, and chastity. Now these are words that are not in the parlance of the narrative of our secular culture. They're not there. So where are the children gonna learn those? So let me just, again, return to my own upbringing. I was fortunate. You know, I was raised in, in, in a little town in South Louisiana. My parents were very, uh, raised us in the Catholic faith. Our family, extended family, were active in that Catholic faith. And, you know, I didn't go to a classroom for, for Catholic education, you know, in the sense of, uh, of uh, what people would call CCD, the Confraternity of Christian Doctrine, all right? So religious formation education. We were educated in people's homes. And these were the same people my mom and dad and we would see at Mass every week. They were married people. Some may have been single, you know, teachers their whole lives and, you know, and living the chaste in, in a single life. And, but, you know, we, there was no fear of my parents with these individuals because they, they were raising their children the same way my parents were raising us. And so there was, no, there was no competition, if you will. And my mom and dad, you know, who recognized their duty and responsibility, entrusted us to the care of those other individuals. And I, as I've said to you, Tad, in other uh, podcasts, you know, my vocation, I'm, I'm 29 years a priest, and now in my 30th year, and, uh, and I owe my vocation to Almighty God. Yes, that's the giver of the gift. But so many people contributed. And all the people in those education programs that I, I was in, all were part of it because they nourished what the council is saying here, those Christian virtues. They taught us right from wrong. They helped us to understand what it meant. And oftentimes in the moral life, Ted, you know, people think that, you know, it's all about laws, you know. But Jesus says in, in John, John's gospel that if you love me, you keep my commands. So love is not something that's, that's isolated from the law. And so when we keep God's law, it expresses love for God because we're keeping what God has created, which goes back to me, you know, and to you, Tad, and that whose image and likeness have we been made? I have not been made in your image, Tad, and you have not been in my image, all right? We have been made in the image and likeness of the Almighty God, the creator of the universe. And so it, it is an adherence to his command that I express my love and the fullness of that love, as Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it to its fullness. So this is what we're talking about, you know, and so this is why the document is such a rich document. It's one that educators in, 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 in religious formation should be familiar with, especially those working with uh, young adults in teen formation, maybe in youth programs, but I would say especially parents should be familiar with it. Because one, it's not so much a, a rule book in a sense, okay, let me make sure I'm doing A, B, C, D, E, but it really is to help the parent 
you know, to broaden their, their understanding, to deepen their appreciation of this teaching, and then how to bring that teaching to bear. And the first thing really is, is for each of our parents to realize you have the ultimate duty, the most important responsibility, and that is the formation and the education, the protection, the safeguarding of your children. And I would just say one more quote, and I'll toss it back, Tad, to you for, for a moment in case you want to add something, but it says, you know, this is paragraph, you know, uh, 50 all the way through 64. I'm not going to read all of them, I promise. But, you know, here, you know, when you think about uh, in, in paragraph uh, 50, you know, what the, the Pontifical Council is saying, it says that, you know, the, uh, when it comes to the sex education, it does not begin with the, uh, you know, uh, the explicit formation of children. So let me, let me explain this, what, what it's talking about, is a parent knows what the, 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 in a sense of the level of where their child is at a given moment, in a sense, what they can understand, what they can express, and, and what's maybe on their mind you, by listening to their children. And so a, a parent might say, might have four children, let's say. Well, the first child maybe was more ready uh, a little earlier in life to maybe talk about, you know, various subjects that we're bringing up here, you know, uh, but maybe their second child, you know, maybe a little longer. So, but each child is, is unique. And so the parent needs to be, you know, not put everybody into a box, if you will, but to really respect each individual as a unique person, you know, that, that we have to recognize and how to help grow and, and to be able to have this kind of conversation. But it also says that, you know, the, when, you, when you consider that, you know, what's happening in the secular culture is there is no respect for that. So they're going to take all those, those young people, throw them into one room and just expose them all. And, and, and as I mentioned earlier, once the innocence is taken away, Ted, uh, and, and the imagery is there, and the thoughts are there, the curiosity, you know, of unguided, you know, uh, by, by virtue, can lead itself to many, many bad things. And that's what we're seeing. And, but as I mentioned in the very, very beginning of our podcast with Adolfo Castaneda, this is how the culture of death works. John Paul's terminology of, of the culture of death versus the culture of life. The culture of death always works in by perverting the subject, by introducing something that seems to be innocuous, something so simple, something even sometimes, un, I said innocuous, unnoticeable, but it gets in. And then they start building, and they build, and they build. And all of a sudden, you know, what, what, what started off with something small is now something large. And, and this is, we've seen this, you know, when it comes to contraception, when, when it comes to the issue of abortion, when it comes to the issue of euthanasia, and many other issues like gender theory today, the whole uh, uh, the debate today that's in this so-called woke culture, all of this, Tad, is a result of what the Pontifical Council of the Family is saying basically is when there is a falsification of the truth and meaning of human sexuality. So that's so I'll toss it back to you in case you have some comments or you want to take it in a different direction. But I mean, the document is so large, Tad, it's very difficult, you know, to 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 break it down in the, in the time we have. But all I would say is encourage our audience, you know, to I give some quotes. I give some direction in my spirit and life column. Hopefully people can read that and maybe the curiosity will move them to, to dive a little deeper into the document. Absolutely, Father. And no, I think you did a wonderful job breaking down some of the most important points there, uh, especially regarding parental responsibility um, and parental rights as far as educating and forming their children um, as opposed to the state. Uh, 
intruding uh, on the rights there, um, as well as the, the, the purpose and meaning of, of human sexuality. Right. If I, if I could, Ted, just right there, if you don't mind, let me just re re reiterate what you just said, that what the document makes very clear is parents should not diminish their, their responsibility by, by delegating it to someone else. They have the primary duty because they are the parents. And what we've seen in many of the states very tragically is an assault on the parents' rights. The parents are, have rights. The child doesn't belong to the state, all right? Other political systems and philosophical systems in our world today tragically have that belief, all right? We don't. You know, fortunately, we're, our, our Constitution recognizes, you know, our, our, our rights, even though itself our country is in, infringing on those rights in many ways. But, but some of the states have insulted parents and even assaulted parents who have gone to school board meetings when they find out what's being introduced to their children. For example, some of these drag queen hours that are going on in, in school systems and libraries, you know, and in the summertime, this is something in these camps. It's, it's, it's horrific. And, and parents don't even know that's happening. But when they do, they confront the situation and they've been thrown out, they've been arrested. People have been in, uh, you know, threatened that if you continue to, if you don't let your children come to the school for the sex education program, we're gonna level charges against you as an unfit parent. And these are threats and, and they're not empty threats. We've seen examples of this. And so it, it can be very intimidating, Tad. But this is why, you know, we'll talk a little bit in, in a little while, hopefully, if we have time, just to get to those four points uh, that I mentioned toward the end uh, of my column. But it's important for parents, you know, to realize that, that your child, every child is of, of, of absolute value and they're worth fighting for and in defending and protecting. And, and I don't have to tell parents that, you know that. But, but I think it's important to see that we, we just can't let the, 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 the narrative of the secular culture indoctrinate and propagandize our children into falsification of the goods that God has given to us. And we have a moral duty, Tad. So when you kind of bring in all those terminology, the phrase, it made me think of that. And I'm sorry to be so passionate about it, but, but I can tell you, this is something I see across the United States. I see it in other Western countries, and I've seen the consequences of it. And that's what we're dealing with today. I mean, when we say that we have a permissive culture, that didn't, didn't drop out of the sky like a, like a raindrop. This has been a gradual disintegration and desensitization over the years. And it's why we're here. And so, uh, and it's not gonna go away just because I get on a podcast with Tad and say, okay, let's make it all go away and we're gonna snap a finger. It's gonna take effort, it's gonna take work, it's gonna take a lot of responsibility on parents and on the church and other leaders and other people who share our values and cultural understanding. And you know, we need to unite. That's what John Paul said in Evangelium Vitae. We have to be united in an ethical effort well, I can't think of any other ethical effort than, than the sanctity and, and protection of our young people from the culture of death. So this is important. So I just talked, okay, Tad, sorry about that. I got on my little soapbox, so, but uh, back to you. That's your job, Father, no worries. Um, I do want to get to uh, the, the, the questions then of how we got here, which actually you were starting to bring up. Uh, very briefly, because I think we're talking about a document that was released in 1995, and it's describing the perennial truths of the church. But the landscape has changed a bit in that the sexual education uh, in school systems, particularly public school systems at that time, uh, was of a, uh, 
I think, offensive sorts, but not quite uh, so egregious as it is now, um, in that it would be uh, mainly uh, permissive with respect to contraception, fornication, extramarital sex, uh, as the term they would use, um, etc. Whereas now, other perverse ideologies are being introduced, um, whether it's beginning with homosexuality all the way to transsexualism and some of these other things you mentioned, uh, even such, you know, ID concepts that aren't uh, legitimate, like pansexuality or other right. sorts of things. Right. And um, these sorts of things are being introduced uh, as young as, as kindergarten, first, second grade, to kind of uh, attempt to normalize uh, a fluid, uh, Gnostic, ultimately, as you mentioned, dualistic idea of, of uh, separation of the body from uh, the supposed real reality, which is uh, all in the mind of the beholder, <laughs> as it were. So we want to talk about a little bit about what specific issues have uh, cropped up uh, most recently, because I think most of our viewers will be aware of, got to be aware of uh, condom distribution, got to be aware of uh, you right. know, the, the permitting uh, talk about self-pleasure, etc. Whereas some of these other things, I don't even know that uh, parents are aware uh, exist. Or are being well, spoken about. Well, what I would say, Tad, is important for, for our listeners, and myself included. I mean, you have to read, and you have to read reliable resources uh, to help form, form our minds in a sense of what's happening within our culture. And uh, we can't just, uh, uh, you know, live uh, in isolation. And what I mean by that is a lot of times, you know, uh, reading, you know, what's going on in the news uh, can be very depressing. I mean, you, you, you hear so much that is happening, but because we have responsibility for other people, we have to be aware of what is happening. But there are great Catholic groups, and, and I would even say you know, very, quite a number of Christian groups that share our core values about the dignity of life, the dignity and sacredness of marriage, the conjugal act, you know, that are very much with us on the issue of, of contraception, abortion, euthanasia, all the various uh, ways in which we look at human life and respect toward human life and the respect that is owed to human persons. And we need to avail ourselves to those particular resources and, and be familiar with what's going on in a state and re regional levels. I mean, a lot of times people focus on the federal, which is important and necessary, uh, as we see right now with the Supreme Court with, uh, with regard to the uh, potential overturning of Roe versus Wade. You know, and but you, the idea here is, but there's a lot happening on the state level, regional level, local level that parents need to avail themselves to. And so, what we may be talking about in Washington D.C., for example, because it's our nearest metropolitan, may not necessarily be happening, you know, in the mid part of the United States. So, but but to be honest, more is happening than people think. And so, uh, with this intrusion of, of gender theory, uh, what we see today, and uh, is is really uh, taking hold. Uh, and conversations and the, and I would call the insanity of, of it all, the rejection of, uh, even what Pope Francis would say, what our senses can easily ascertain. We are male and we are female. And, and science obviously would affirm this in, in the reality of male and female. And we're, and we're being told that I'm to ignore what my senses and my own eyes perceive 
And this is something that it's, it's infiltrated into the schools and it's in their textbooks. And, it's, and, and so parents, what I would say is you need to look at the textbooks. You need to see what your children are being uh, uh, indoctrinated into. What, what, what are the teachers teaching? What is the language? What, what is happening there? So I would just say that important, Tad, is instead of getting into each one of them, because you mentioned them, I mean, there are, and, and, and it's a slippery slope. And you know, it's interesting, you know, is that what I began with is when we falsify the understanding of the human person, when we reject the very nature of the person, then this is the inevitable direction. And there's no end to it, Ted. You know, one of my staff, Dr. Brian Close, you know, right across from your office, loves, has been saying for decades, he's been in this for over 40 years, oh, it can't get any worse. And I said, Dr. Brian, would you please stop saying that? Because it does. Because it's the slippery slope. And I know people don't like to use that language, but I'm, I'm an advocate of that language. Because the moment you reject human dignity, from its, in its beginning, if we reject the very essence of what it means to be a person, what it means, then and we and we we lose sight of the intrinsic value of human life, then inevitably, not only is the assault the 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 the, the innocent child in the womb, it's going to be outside the womb. And it is. We see it in our culture today. Euthanasia continues to, to grow and, and passage through some of our states. It's be, in, in some other countries, it's been around for years. And now we've seen it where even children under the age of 10 could choose to take their life because they don't want to suffer. You know, this, all, all, this understanding of, of, of human suffering and the lack of understanding of, of, of eternal life, all this stuff is confused. It's, it's like, it's like di digging in a, in a pond filled with mud. There's no clear water. You can't see. You got your head stuck under, under the water and you can't see anything. And that's what this document does. It actually plucks the head out of the water and says, open your eyes. Let's take a look at who man and woman, the human person is. Let's take a look at what we understand about human sexuality. Let's take a look at what we understand about marriage, the conjugal act, what we understand about the role of parents, the rights of parents. I mean, in our audience, you know, I would say how many of us have read Familiaris Consortio? You know, the great, you know, uh, exhortation, uh, apostolic exhortation of John Paul, uh, in, uh, Pope St. John Paul. You know, and, and what about, you know, the charter on the family? You know, I've written on this many times, and I'm sad to say that the Charter on the Family, which speaks about parental rights, is not something that is talked about enough. And so that's why this document was so important, because the rise in pornography, the addiction to pornography is unbelievable, not only in the United States, it's a global problem. And I would say it's a health problem. It's affecting people psychologically. It's affecting people in their, in their health. It's causing rampant issues in divorce, the transmission of so many diseases because people want to enact these things and to, and to bring them into the real world because pornography is real people. But it's 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 a it's it's a it's 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 not reality. This a lot of these things that people are doing are just horrendous. But now, tragically, Tad, they're becoming reality. This is what people think about sex. This is how they think about you know relationships. And and again, going back to the dualistic understanding that when we separate, when we when we rupture, you know, this uh, our understanding of the human person. These are the inevitable consequences. So it's important that parents understand 
who is teaching their children, what they're teaching their children, what, and even if you, and I would also say, I would extend this, Tad, beyond the school. Who are the friends of, of, my, of, of my children? What families? I mean, I remember when I was a young boy, and again, not comparing myself to anyone else, but when I was a young boy, we went through, if we were going to, if, if you were my best friend, I was going to your house, I was put through a, a, a battery of, of tests you know, tell me about this young man. Who are his parents? What do they do for a living? You know, does the dad work outside the home? Is a dad home every night? You know, how many other brothers and sisters? Who, what are their ages? I mean, they went through a litany of questions. Why? Because I was a value to them. They wanted to make sure that no one was going to introduce me to something or, uh, or something would happen that, that I was not prepared for. So we need to be that serious, Tad, about this. So even our friendships, the relationships of our children. And yes, you know, ideally we can't protect them from everything, but we need to give them the proper foundation, the, the, the cement upon which they, they have rooted themselves in order to be able to deal with this. So for example, you know, how many parents are talking to their children about this? How many parents are, are sitting down and working uh, alongside their children and discussing these, these beautiful issues? Remember, we're talking about something beautiful here, all right? Something God created. So we need to talk about it, not be afraid of it. And at the same time, do you want someone else telling your children about, about the meaning of sex? Or do, and the other thing I would say, Tad, which the document talks about within the family, you know, the, the, Paul the sixth used to say that we we don't need, and I may I may be getting the the, the 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 quote incorrect completely, but I got the essence of it. We don't need more documents. What we need are more witnesses. So in the sense of the parents must witness the beauty of of marital love, which also includes modesty, temperance, prudence, and how they reflect to their children, Ted, the beauty of love the respect that love demands, the kindness, the generosity, the self-sacrifice, and to make sure that they're properly dressed in the home, that they are not you know, expressing themselves in ways, using language. The TV, which is the biggest culprit here, and now the internet, even though we're using the internet, all right? So, but it, it can be a vessel for the diabolical to, to introduce many things to our young people and to especially adolescents who are so vulnerable you know to to the culture today uh, because of Twitter and Facebook and all the various social platforms and that parents are allowing their children to be a part of and maybe not taking enough uh, discipline in that regard so the document deals with all of this tad you know even though 1995 I mean we had the internet but obviously not as we do today many things have changed but th the truth is the same truth and, and what the, the, the Pontifical Council of the Family is echoing and reaffirming in the teaching is true today and can be applied to tomorrow as well. So uh, it's important, you know, because as we, as we look at all these issues, I mean, what I would say in, in closing, Ted, in the sense before I toss it back to you, is, you know, this is something here, I'm, I'm going to read from it. So it, it, it's number paragraph 105, and please forgive me, I'm going to look at the paper here because I'm not going to read all of it. It must never be forgotten that the disordered use of sex tends progressively to destroy the person's capacity to love, making pleasure instead of sincere self-giving the end of sexuality and by reducing other persons to objects of one's own gratification. There's pornography. Someone else is being exploited so someone else can benefit. 
and so in a sense of draw pleasure from it. The misuse, the objectification of other people. People are not things, Tad. We're someone. We're not a thing. And so this is what the document gets into. So I'm very, I mean, I, I have read this document a few times over the years, and I continue to return to it many times. I've quote from it often, because in a matter of fact, in the conference I'll, and presentations I'm giving this weekend, I'm gonna be directly focused, uh, re, uh, responding to the document and making people aware of the document. So it, it's important you know, to, to not let these documents, which are filled with great teaching for us, uh, sit on a shelf. You know, especially with the internet, there's a positive thing for the internet. Vatican.com, uh, I can't remember, it's Vatican.org.com, uh, I can't remember what it is. But, you know, you go to the Vatican website and you can look at all these documents. I'm so used to just hitting Vatican, I don't know if it's, uh, Tad, you know if it's, uh, 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 is it VA? I'm, well, never mind, people can look it up. <laughs> I'm checking right now. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember. It's, uh, it's Vatican.va, that's correct. We okay. have all the documents there. We'll also be linking in our uh, description okay, good. to awesome. uh, the awesome. document uh, from the Pontifical Council uh, for the Family, the Truth and Meaning of Human Sexuality. Great. Um, with that said, Father, I think um, if you wanted to go uh, just to close out through those four points at the end of your article oh, that you sure. were mentioning, which are practical tips for parents um, uh, in, in teaching uh, their children how sexuality is meant specifically for uh, within the God's plan of the vocation of marital love. Um, yeah, absolutely. No, and, and Ted, thank you very much for taking time you know, to, to, to do this today because it, it is an important thing that you know, we need to talk about more. And, uh, and uh, HLI does this you know, throughout the mission field. But, uh, and there are many, as I said, others, many great pro-life, pro-family groups that are doing you know, yeoman's work with regard to the family. And, uh, and we owe them a, a tremendous amount of gratitude. And, and I do use their resources quite often too. So it's, you know, obviously I, I, I'm, I'm, I wanna support HLI, you know, but, but, there's, but there's others, we're in this together. This is, this is a united effort as John Paul would say, okay? So the four points that I made, just kind of drawing from the document. The first one is, is that parents should associate with other parents both in order to find mutual support, but also in order to fight against damaging forms of sex education. I've already alluded to it in, in, in comments already. So we need to be united. So as I mentioned earlier about my own upbringing, and that is, you know, parents worked together. You know, all my parents knew all my, the, most of my friends' parents. You know, they, there, was, there was a community. People recognized each other at church. Um, they united. You know, more than ever, you know, as a church, we need to help our parents to get to know each other. You know, when I was back in parish ministry, this is one of the things we tried to do is introduce other couples to other couples and to find a support system, but not just for the support of asking questions. How do you deal with your toddler who won't sleep at night? How do you deal with a teenager that might be giving me problems? You know, what do we do? Those are very, very important and necessary. But the other thing is to have someone stand at your side to fight the good fight with you. It's very much like the, you know, standing outside of an abortion facility, you know, with other people. You're united, you, you find comfort being with other people. You're, you're strengthened, emboldened by other people's presence. You know, we are made for, for each other. We are, we are social beings. 
And so we, we need to unite together. That's a very important thing because what the, what the evil, evil one does and with those that are in this sad and the progressive mindset, they, they want to isolate people. They, 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 they basically separate people and then they, they, they pounce on. So, but if you have more people together, it's very hard for them to do this. And the truth prevails. And so you bring things into the light. An example of that would be back to the uh, like 40 days or some of the uh, sidewalk counselors, you know, by having other people there their witnesses and also by having you know I know this is on but this is nothing un, not unknown is having cameras you know you catch what other people do they, they, it's like with all respect it's like having a cockroach the roach does not want to be seen you know like a, a rodent the moment the light comes on they scatter and so that's why being united is so important because together we can stand and we can fight the good fight very very important the second thing is to keep the keep parents you know informed on the content and methodology being used by any other sources of sex education in their children's lives all right so as we said primary educators parents they are not ever to delegate that primary duty to anyone it is their duty alone however because at times there are many things that maybe parents don't know how to address we want to entrust or seek out, a, if I may use, a lifeline, reach out to others. That's good. We, again, we want to help to support each other. And, and, and the sad thing is, Tad, as you know, in our world today, you know, families don't always live near each other any longer. You know, very mobile people don't live around. The, I mean, my, most of my family still lives, you know, in the community where I was raised. That's just not heard of today in, in so many places. And so the, the, we need to recognize the importance of help, ha, helping each other, reaching out to others. But with that said, I should not give it my responsibility. As a matter of fact, the document says you can't. You have a moral duty you know, to your child, to your children, because you are mom and dad. You are the ones that said yes to each other and welcome life. You have an obligation, a moral responsibility. Very important. Thirdly, that we participate fully in the supplementary instruction provided outside the home. So I want to see it in writing. Bring that book home. I want to see what they're telling you. I, you know, I'm going to go to the school board meeting. What are you saying to my children? You know, you're not the primary educator here. I am. You know, this is not, you know, a communist country where uh, people are treated like property. All right. This is the United States and we have rights and you're not going to usurp my rights. But let's see. My, first of all, let me clarify that point. Those parental rights don't come from the United States Constitution. All right. They come from Almighty God. All right. So these rights of parents are not given by the state. The state may want to try to think they can. These rights are innate rights. And so this goes back to the Charter on the Family and Familiaris Consortio. So I'm going to send people back to those documents, Tad, maybe when you're putting up those little, uh, little footnotes and all the little things, whatever that language is about all that, you can maybe uh, highlight some of those. Those would be very important for our, our listeners. And fourthly, and this is the, the most difficult one. It goes back to what I said earlier. If you find out that your child is being inculcated, indoctrinated, propagandized into this culture, this narrative, okay, this, uh, then you need to pull them out. If you can't change the conversation, then it's time to pull your child out of that, 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 that situation. And, and, and that's a difficult fight. I will tell you, I've heard many stories, and I brought them up earlier, where parents have been really assaulted and threatened. But you know, that's why we're going to be, go back to the first principle. We have to stand together. 
We need to get people to work with us. We need to get people in the legal you know, realm to, to be supportive of families. We need to get our legislators, both on the state level, federal level, defending those rights. So, but we, we, at the end of the day, sacrificial love demands that we protect you know, and so parents have an innate love for their children that also protects their child from harm. This is a harm being done to your children and to our grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and our godchildren. So we have a moral duty to say, no, we are not going to accept this. So we have to remove them, which takes great courage, Tad. It takes a, a willingness. And, and that's why, you know, it's important for the church, which she has. She stands with our families. And if we follow the writings of the church, the Holy Fathers, you know, Pope Francis has been very clear on this. Pope Benedict was, John Paul, Paul VI, John Twenty-Third. We can go all the way back, you know, to many decades where we've seen an intrusion on the family, right? You know, from modernism all the way down to the current and the consequences of it. So we have to be willing to, to fight for our children. We have to be willing to, to remove them from harm, you know, and, and so this is, this is it. And, you know, and to realize that if we do this, we will be given our children. I'm gonna close with this, Tad, uh, and I'll share this with you. And I think I mentioned this to you the other day, but I'll, if you, so Tad, you have to forgive me for repeating the story, but our audience didn't hear it. I got a, a friend of mine that I've known since he was a little boy, since he was uh, literally a few months old, I've known the family. And his mom and dad, you know, like my own upbringing, were very faithful, very true uh, disciples of the Lord, you know, lived their faith. It wasn't something they just spoke, it was something they lived, it was part of their day, and their children were, were, were a great value, uh, and not monetary, not physical in the sense of a thing, a commodity, but a precious jewel placed in their charge. And, and they did a lot, you know, for their children uh, to, in, in correcting behavior and preventing them from being, you know, in certain environments. And, as we know, children, you know, need guidance. And at times when their parents make decisions, children don't always appreciate and understand. And I think any one of us listening here as adults know exactly what I'm saying here, that we think we know better. We think we, we know what's right. We think we uh, can make all decisions on our own. Uh, and our parents are always wrong. Well, sometimes parents are wrong, all right? But in most cases, in the majority of times, our parents are making the right prudent decisions. And this is what happened with this friend of mine that I've known. And, uh, and it's fun now to see him as a young married man with his own children doing the very same thing his own parents did. And, and he said, you know, when he was being raised, he, he really did not respect his parents as much as he should have. He says he was sometimes upset with them and, and even angry at them because they said no, that he couldn't do certain things or he couldn't go out with his friends at a certain place. And, and he said his parents seemed to be, you know, uh, just unyielding. But he says today he understands exactly what his parents were doing. They were protecting him from potential harm and even harm that they could see that he couldn't see. And he said it was once he married and he had children of his own, he realized there, he would do anything to protect his children from harm. And he says, little did I know that I've become my parents. And, but it's because it's the truth, it's, it's love. And so we, we have to see as parents, and, and for myself, you know, I'm not a biological father, but a spiritual father, you know, I, I care for people. You know, many times people came for guidance and still come for guidance. Uh, and all you can do is offer it to them, uh, and it's up to them to decide. You know, but I'm dealing mostly with adults, all right? Parents are dealing with their children. But you know, it's because we love and we care and we want what's best. And, and so back to the document, that's how I read it. 
and that's how I receive it. And and I'm hoping people will 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 take advantage of the opportunity that we're talking about it, Tad. So so I, I thank you, Tad, again for you know for uh, for allowing this column to be talked about, and I'm hoping that people may have some questions that maybe they'll they'll send or at least talk about it with their friends and maybe even have a study group in their home. Uh, that would be great because introduce more people to it and to help people understand. Uh, but to be honest with you, Ted, because people don't realize what's influencing them today, you know, they don't understand the narrative. And, and, and once we, we, we help people to see the narrative, this anti-life, this anti -under, uh, poor understanding of human dignity, it all flows from that very beginning. And so this is how we see the contraception, contraceptive uh, mentality enter in, abortion enter in, euthanasia enter in, this whole gender theory enter in, and as you mentioned earlier, all the other, as John Paul would often say, all these other isms are, will enter in. We need to get back to the primary root. And once we, we, we heal that wound, then everything else will find its necessary healing as well. So that's kind of how I'll kind of throw it back. Absolutely, Father, and uh, thank you so much. Uh, you, you thanked me for, for hosting the episode, but thank you for writing the article uh, in the first place and bringing up these topics. Um, I think that's a good place to close. We covered mostly everything, and uh, our, as I said, our, the description will contain a link to that document, uh, as well as Father's Spirit and Life article, so uh, those listeners and viewers who are uh, interested in reading further are encouraged to um, and please uh, be aware of these issues that are affecting our children uh, ever greater. Um, even, I'm not very old at all, even when I was uh, young, it was not quite uh, so bad as it is now. So uh, let us... Still a young man. Yes. <laughs> as are you, Father. And uh, <laughs> let us uh, pray and, uh, and, and, and be aware and fight on behalf of our children. God bless. Okay. Yes, thank you so much uh, for watching and listening. Please, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, like and subscribe and turn on notifications. If you're listening to us on Amazon, Spotify, or any of our other audio platforms, please follow us. And however you're tuning in, please share us with all your friends. Uh, keep on living the culture of life. God bless. Mm -hmm.